0: Uh, For those who haven't met me yet, my name is Michael Risk. I'm part of the ministry staff here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. And today we're looking at Psalm 1, and in a couple weeks' time we'll look at Psalm 2 before starting a new sermon series in June in the Book of Lamentations. Uh, Please have your Bibles open today to Psalm 1, and I'll be reading that for us now. So that's Psalm 1, and I'll be reading that. And it's all six verses. This is God's Word. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time where we can hear from your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to respond. Please be with me as I preach your word. Father, bless the preparation I have done. And Father, we pray ultimately that as I preach your word, we pray that by your Spirit, that it would be you ultimately teaching us and convicting us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We all have a story, don't we? Experiences that we can identify with. But and an experiences are very much unique to us uh, there are certain experiences and influences that have really impacted and shaped us and who we are uh, let me briefly tell you my story i'm tasmanian born and bred my parents were not born here in australia my dad is from germany and my mom is from the philippines i have one brother who is my identical twin. I went to a state school for both primary and high school. At university, I studied a degree in social work. And in my second year while at university, I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, my world changed. Now this is obviously not my full story. But I wonder from these brief details, can you discern what has influenced my thinking and my perceptions of the world around me? First, being born in Australia, which perhaps many of us are. We are born into the Western world, which means that we live in in an individualistic society. We think of ourselves as individuals, not as communities. Being also part of the Western world, we are shaped by the Enlightenment. This means that reason and intellect have shaped our thinking. We often hear, don't we? If you can't prove it, it didn't happen. My father, being from Germany, was very influenced by reason and intellect. Very influenced by individualism. But my mother, being from the Philippines, Oh, she's almost from a different world, shaped by traditionalism, community, and their national religion Roman Catholicism. I remember sitting in one of my classes at Bible College cultural mission engagement which is taught by David Burke, who is coming on the 29th of May to talk about Christian worldview. It was in this class that I shared about my upbringing. I shared about what influenced me And I said to my class, oh, it looks random and confused. On the one hand, my father and my education, shaping my thinking through individualism and the Enlightenment. But on the other, my mother, shaping me to think somewhat Roman Catholic, normally Roman Catholic, so understanding that there is a God. But this God requires me to do good works to be saved. Now, each of us here have had experiences or influences that have really shaped who we are, have really shaped our thinking. As children, it's our parents and our upbringing. Perhaps as teenagers, we are more influenced by our friends and our growing awareness of the culture around us. And then perhaps as adults, we are shaped more than ever by our culture and the dominant ideologies around us. Let me give one example of one of these dominant ideologies. The slogan, love is love, or perhaps the other slogan, black lives matter. What ideology is underpinning these slogans? It isn't Christianity. What is it? It's cultural Marxism. And cultural Marxism sees two categories of people. Those who are oppressed and those who are the oppressors. And cultural Marxism seeks to do away with the systems that are causing the oppression. They claim that the system is broken and so the need to do away with it. Do away with the system by liberating those who are oppressed and overthrowing the institution or institutions that are causing these oppressive practices. Friends, I can say with reasonable confidence that cultural Marxism was one ideology undergirding my social work degree. And so, a natural, so it was a natural outcome that had influence on my thinking and my perceptions of the world around me. But then what happened in my story? Well, in my second year while at university, I became a Christian. And as I said before, when I became a Christian, my world changed. How did my world change? Well, my world changed because the Lord changed me. And through the rebirth that comes through becoming a Christian, I started seeing the world not through the lens of my parents, nor my friends, or the culture around me, but rather through His lens, an expanding and growing worldview, now being shaped by God and His Word. A Christian worldview. Our passage that we'll be looking together today is Psalm 1. And to provide a little context to Psalm 1, um, I'm also going to talk about Psalm 2 briefly. Psalm 1, along with Psalm 2, communicates to the reader how the whole Psalter, how all these 150 Psalms should be read. That the Psalms revealed that often there are two ways to live, either as the righteous or as the wicked. They show the importance of relying on God and His Word. The Psalms show God's sovereignty, they highlight the interplay between the divine King. And human kings and the Psalms remind us that God is a refuge for us all. Psalm 1 in particular is highlighting to us that the Psalms are to be used for individual meditation, that the Psalms contain wisdom for how to live and ultimately to to find trust and to trust and find refuge in our God. As we now turn our attention to our passage, friends, Psalm One raises the question and asks us to reflect: Who or what is influencing our worldview? Who or what is influencing our worldview? Is it God, or is it something else? If you're taking notes, the big message of Psalm One is: Life and wisdom are found in God. Life. And wisdom are found in God. And I have three points that we'll be going to be working from today. Our first point, the way of the righteous, the way of the righteous. Our second, the way of the wicked, the way of the wicked. And then our third and final point, the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord. Let's look at that first point together. Point number one, the way of the righteous. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 1 could also be translated like this. Happy is the one who does not follow the counsel or advice of the godless, who does not associate with those who sin, and does not interact with those who mock. Friends, we are told in verse 1 that the psalmist is happy. And why is he happy? His happiness doesn't come from the things of this world. We're actually told that he is actively avoiding them. So the question is, why is he happy? Look at verse 2. Because their delight is in the law, or better translated, their delight is in the instruction of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and day and night. Friends, I want to suggest that the meditation of the psalmist would have been more than just the Ten Commandments. But he would have been reading all of God's instruction. And what might have been God's instruction? Well, at the very least for the psalmist, it would have been the Pentateuch, Genesis to Deuteronomy, those those first five books of the Bible. But as the Bible expanded, God's people would have been encouraged to read all of God's instruction, all of His Word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 reminds us that all Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And friends, notice that the psalmist's delight is in the meditation of God's word. On what God's word has to teach us, which he does day and night. The psalmist here isn't just reading a passage of scripture, but he's reading that passage again and again. He's asking questions of that passage. He's trying to discern what the passage might be saying. Doing the work of a pastor, I have a privilege of being able to soak myself into God's Word and theology as a full-time job. I am paid to read, expound, and share God's Word with others for a living. It's my job to read the Bible. And because it's my job, I find myself in God's Word almost every day. However, I understand that this is not a luxury that each of us have. And I know that coming to God's Word daily, meditating on God's Word, praying through God's Word... And what God's Word is saying can be a difficult task, sometimes an impossible task. Uh, Why can it be so difficult? Because there are things that will demand our attention throughout the day. Uh, For the mum with young kids, she may may find herself wondering, when was the last time she even had five to ten minutes to sit down, to open up God's Word, to meditate? And to pray. The question we have to answer for that young mum, for any of us who are busy, is why should they bother? Why should they open up God's word to meditate on it, to pray through it? Do we tell them it's because it's one of those jobs as Christians that is part of our daily Christian checklist? I've read God's word today. I pray today. Check, check. Now we encourage them. We encourage each of us to read God's Word, to meditate on it, because God's Word is a delight, because God's Word is a joy. Have a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, "The one who does, uh, We are told that the one who does, who meditates on God's Word, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, what does verse 3 mean? Does it mean that if we read God's Word that God will somehow reward us? Will God say to me, well done Michael, you've read your Bible today. As your reward, your children are not going to fight for the next 24 hours. They're going to be very well behaved. No. The reading of our Bibles is not some transactional activity. That if I read my Bible, then God will somehow reward me. Our friends, having our Bibles, having God's instruction, is already a gift from God. John 1 verse 16 reminds us that the receiving of God's Word, the receiving of the law, is a grace and gift from God. God didn't need to give us His Word, but He gave it to us so that we may know how to live. I remember one preacher explaining wisdom to me like this. He said, Wisdom is knowing how to live in accordance with God's way in the world that God created. God gives us wisdom through His Word and tells us how to live in accordance with His ways in the world that He created. And He has given us all of Scripture to do this. Verse 3 of Psalm 1 is thus telling us that if you and I meditate on Scripture, we will know how to live in God's world we will know how to best thrive in the world that he has created this does not mean that we will have an easy life it does not mean that we'll have an easy life filled with sunshine and daisies but a life knowing how to live and thrive within our broken world let me just give two examples to help um, explain this friends we live in a broken world where there is suffering, where there is pain and we will experience this both as individuals but also as groups. On an individual level our society will tell us that when dealing with suffering, when dealing with pain, that we have all the resources within ourselves to cope and deal with the problem. Have we know this doesn't work. It doesn't work. God's word tells us that the solution can't be found within ourselves. What is in ourselves? Brokenness, sin, so the solution can't be found within ourselves. It must be found outside of ourselves. The answer must be found in Jesus. Our coping mechanisms for anxiety will only provide band-aids, but casting your fears upon the Lord, coming to Him in prayer, trusting in His sovereign work, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The views of our world provide band-aids, but the Lord, He will provide real solutions. And as groups, we will experience suffering and pain through inequality and oppression. Our society will seek to elevate the oppressed, um, alleviate the oppression that is felt in our society by elevating the minority and bringing down the majority. We see this throughout our society, don't we? In sex, in gender, in race, in class, you name it. But God's Word tells us that oppression, that inequality isn't solved in raising one group and bringing down the other. Cultural Marxism isn't the answer. Oppression is only solved by elevating both groups in Christ. This is what Paul says in, in the book of Ephesians. He says, for he, for he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who made the two groups one as he, and, and, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Life and wisdom are found in God. They are found in his word. The righteous will find life through the meditation and instruction of the Lord. However, this is not so for the wicked. The wicked will not find life. The wicked will only find judgment. And friends, this brings us to our second point. Point two, the way of the wicked. Have a look now at verse 4 and 5 with me. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Are the wicked, they are the godless, those who have, turn, who have not turned to God, but who have turned to the things of this world. And verse 4 and 5 speaks of what will happen to the godless. Are these two verses talk about judgment. And what we see here friends is a twofold judgment. A judgment experienced now and a judgment that happens when Christ returns, the final judgment. A verse 4 describes an immediate judgment. In verse 4 the wicked are described as chaff. A chaff is good for nothing. A chaff is the useless husk of grain that falls down during the winnowing process as you take your grain you get your fork you throw the grain up into the air and then the wheat will fall down but then the husk the chaff will just blow away in the wind it's useless it's good for nothing I think the modern-day equivalent for chaff is almost like a food wrapper Uh, it protects the food but when you want the food you unwrap it and you throw the wrapper into the bin it's just discarded never to be used again Uh, The psalmist is saying here that chaff is good for nothing. And he is making the comparison between those who follow God and those who are godless. Uh, The God-fearer will know how to live and thrive in God's world. He will know how to live in accordance with his ways. The God-fearer will bear fruit. But not so for the wicked. Not so for the godless. They are like chaff, just blowing in the wind. The wicked will try to discern how to thrive in our broken world. They will be guided by the popular worldviews of our culture. But these worldviews can't help. They are but band-aids trying to mend broken bones. Robin Williams, a comedian and actor. I know him best as the voice of Jeannie. Robin Williams was considered one of the funniest people in the world. But did you know that he suffered from depression? And in the end, his poor mental health and depression led to his eventual death. We have all heard stories of the rich and the wealthy having all the money in the world, but living the saddest of existences. The psalmist is trying to tell the wicked. Trying to tell the godless that their lives without God will have no meaning. They are like chaff blowing in the wind. He is saying that those who don't follow God will live with discontentment, will live with dissatisfaction. This is God's judgment now. Those who don't follow God will live in in discontentment and dissatisfaction, for their hope is not in God, but in the things of this world. And the things of this world can't provide. Uh, Jesus describes the things of this world as things that rust and are easily destroyed. Love is love or black lives matter. are movements shaped by cultural Marxism and our attempts at healing brokenness But they are redemptive stories that are doomed to fail. A true redemption, true redemption can only be found in Jesus. The one who gives us new life, who gives us new meaning. And more than that, Jesus gives us eternal life. And without Jesus, for the wicked, for the godless, there is no eternal life there is only judgment look at verse five verse five is talking about final judgment the wicked the godless at the final judgment will not stand they will not be counted among the righteous the wicked the godless what have they done well they have ultimately said no to god they have said i don't want anything to do with you they have said let me have the world Let me have my own redemptive story. One that comes from money, comes from pleasure, comes from power. I don't want the redemptive story found in Jesus. And you know what? God has given it to them. He has given it to them. And with that has come dissatisfaction with that has come discontentment and when the time comes and it will they will be judged they will stand before god and not be numbered among the righteous those whom god has redeemed but they will stand before god condemned and be judged by him what about us what about us where do we stand as we hear about the righteous and as we hear about the godless where are we are we following God have we found life and wisdom in him are we meditating on scripture are we seeking how we can thrive in accordance with his ways in the world that he created Or have we looked for a different redemptive story away from God? Are we walking in the counsel of the wicked? Are we standing among sinners? Friends, let me ask, where are you standing? As you reflect on your standing, some here will say with confidence, I know where I'm standing. I know where I'm standing. But some here may be thinking, how do I know? How do I know that I am numbered among the righteous? How do I know that I am not numbered among the wicked? Thinking to themselves, so often, so often I have seen myself standing with sinners and sitting with mockers. So often I have followed the ideas of this world rather than God. How do I know? How do I know that I'm in the congregation of the righteous? To those having doubts where they stand, they can find comfort and assurance where they stand by looking at how they have lived their life. And our greatest assurance for this is whether we have lived a life putting our faith and trust in Christ. Whether our life is built on trusting in Jesus and His work done for us. Our reading from Romans reminded us that none of us are righteous, but that on our own we are all godless. We are all wicked. But Jesus made each of us righteous and able to follow the Lord. How? Through His redemptive work by His blood. The blood that was shed for us on the cross. Jesus has made us right before the Father. On that cross, He justifies the sinner. And The book of Romans goes on to say that those who are justi- justified by Christ are also united to Him. And if you are united to Him, we are given new life. No longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. And if we are alive in Christ, then God will watch over us. He will continue to guide us. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, the way of the Lord. Verse six. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. When it says that the Lord watches over us, it does not mean that God is watching us from afar, that God is some distant God way up there and we are down here the hebrew word yadah which has been translated in our text as watch over us is better translated as knows us and yet stronger than that friends the word yadah is saying that god knows us and he knows us intimately verse 6 is trying to say to those that who have been redeemed by christ god knows you you are the object of his care You are the object of His love. He will watch over you. He will care for you. He will make sure that you will not completely stumble, but ensure that you will finish the race. Again, Paul says in Romans, those whom Christ has justified, those whom Christ has justified, He will also glorify. Those who are in Christ are more than conquerors. For nothing can separate them from the love of the Father. Uh, The wicked who have said no to God will perish. They will experience the final death. But not so with the righteous. God knows them. He looks after them. And in the end, He will raise them up on the final day. And they will stand in the congregation of the righteous with the Lord Jesus. So take comfort, Christian. Take comfort that those here who may be having doubts where they stand, take comfort that if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, then you are standing among the righteous. He has redeemed you by His blood. He has justified you. And He will one day glorify you. And friends, as we near the end, it is exactly this. It is exactly this that needs to shape our thinking, needs to shape our worldview. That you and I belong to Jesus. He has justified us. He is changing us by His word. And by His word we are made wise. We are given life. Friends, we need to be planted in God's word. We need to be shaped by His word. For His word will give us wisdom wisdom that we need to live in accordance with His ways in the world that He has made. Let us not be like the wicked or the godless who are shaped by the culture around us, but let our thinking and our worldview be shaped by Christ, His work and His Word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the work you have done in our lives, made possible through the powerful work of Jesus. Father, we pray that as we are united to Christ, made possible by the Spirit, that your Spirit will continue to change and transform our thinking. We pray, Father, that as we meditate on your Word, and as your Spirit works through our meditation, we pray that we, your people, would be further equipped to thrive and bear fruit in the broken world that we live in father we thank you for the wonderful reminder of psalm one that life and wisdom are found in you revealed to us in your living and active word to you be all glory and praise amen let us stand as we sing our last song